Starting from a 90-year-old family recipe, Wickles are wickedly delicious pickles packed with garlic and peppers, a staple in our skiff and all shoreline lunches. Originating from Sim's grandmother's kitchen to a pantry near yours, from pickles, okra, relishes, and spreads, check them out to elevate all of your meals to the next level. Duck Camp makes outdoor goods so you can outdoor good. From the shallow water flats to the mallard-filled marshes, Duck Camp is there to make you feel comfortable and enhance the quality of your time in the elements. Not only do they make some of the best outdoor apparel on the market, but they support many of the organizations near and dear, fighting for our resource in the natural world. Check them out at duckcamp.com and tell them we sent you. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double-lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. Sarah, I'm, I'm so I'm so happy that we we got together here at Somerset Edison, you know, for the trade show. Um, we were just talking about Lefty before we you know turned everything on, and I'm going to jump ahead because we're going to go all over the place. But I remember when when I called you to see if you'd be willing to do this, we were talking about Lefty, and you said um, without Lefty there'd be no Sarah. Absolutely. And so tell me about the story behind that. Well. Lefty, it, it really is a pre-lefty and a post-lefty. I was uh, working at a tackle store full time, and um, I was kind of at a loss. I would, I had a great degree in graphic design and illustration, and I had been using it, but I was really unhappy with with working in an office like that. And I had already been hunting and fishing, and spending a lot of time spending and spend, and money in a local tackle store, and finally asked for a job, got it, and uh, um, and then found myself without a um, quit, got fired from the graphic design world. And I think I was struggling for a while trying to figure out, okay, well, what's my next step? And and was at an early fly fishing show, an, an early Chuck Frimsky show. Here in Somerset, Jersey? Not, not in Somerset, but actually in Maryland. It's a show mm -hmm. that they no longer have. And um, my name... <laughs> I gave my name to uh, an editor of a saltwater fly fishing magazine um, who said somebody was looking for women who might be interested in writing. And I thought, oh, great, this is like really a come on. And um, 
a different sort of a. Uh, <laughs> 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 so I I thought I just didn't think anything about it. And just a couple of weeks later, he called and left. He called my house at night at about, I don't know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. And I'm like, which one of my friends is playing a joke on me? And right. I was pretty cagey. I just thought nothing. I was like, great. Um, but I, you know, promised to call him back the next day with my work schedule so so that we could get together. And Sure enough, when I called him back and he answered the phone, I was, I thought, oh my God, this is it. And he just, he gave me, just told me that there, the industry was looking for women and would I be willing to write? And I thought, well, good grief, this is Lefty Cray and I can't spell for shit, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't, I can't lose out on this opportunity. And I think within a week I was up there writing an, an article and because I had a degree in art and a lot of photography background, my, I could take photos for my for my articles. And he just came up with ideas. I I wrote the ideas. I I did the articles. I took them back to him. He red penned them mercilessly, and I still have all the hard copies of wow. all the articles I ever wrote. And then we sent them out, and then and they were accepted. And and pretty quickly, I had a couple of columns that were. Couple were one was weekly, one was monthly, and um, and then writing a lot of freelance articles. And sadly, those most of those magazines aren't in print anymore. They're mm-hmm. they're gone, and and so the ability to write kind of sort of went away for a while. And now there's a lot of writing you can do on social media. But that's how I met him, and he was he took me. I got to go to the Bahamas with him, catch my first bonefish with him, and I fished all over the Mid Atlantic with him. And, and I got to meet other people like Bob Clouser and, you know, it's how I, I met um, Bob Popovich and a lot of this. It's how I met Brian. You hang out with Lefty. <laughs> you're going to meet some big people. Yeah. <laughs> including yeah. Brian, your husband, who's sitting over here in the corner. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was, I mean, he and he, he, he I think he really recognized underdogs, people that maybe had the talent but were shy or just didn't maybe have the right opportunities. And he just took me. And like sometimes he had to push me to to get me there to get over that hump of of fear and shy, and and I I did it. I mean I gutted it out. I think sometimes I did it on his belief more than I did on my own. But here I am, twenty well more than almost thirty years plus since meeting Lefty. But I think for a while there it was you know a lot of his his influence his and influence. he was a huge proponent of women in the outdoors and, and fly fishing absolutely from yeah. the get-go from the get-go and 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 um and we we have a lot to thank well let me ask you what tackle store were you working in when all of a sudden lefty called and wanted you to start right i was working at anglers sports center in annapolis which is a really big store it's been there for a long time um there are a couple of stores in maryland that have been around forever and what were you doing there I was sales salesperson on the mm-hmm. floor. So did, what kind of background did you have in fishing at that time for you to become a writer? To become a writer? So well, I grew up fishing in the backyard, you know, and, and then when I and, – and I chose my boyfriends accordingly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, Smart woman. <laughs> exactly. But um, I – when I worked at Anglers, you had – we literally sat on the Chesapeake Bay, so I was – fishing and fly fishing in saltwater, you know, since my late teens, early 20s, and then um, 
fishing, Maryland has great trout fishing and smallmouth fishing and warm fishing for largemouth bass. So I had a great, you know, great opportunity close by for everything right out of the gate. And anglers sold it all. And they were very generous about selling to their employees. So I had a pretty big tab always. But it was just, and I had access to a lot of expertise. I mean, not just lefty, but the people that I worked with, I think, saw somebody who really loved it and just, you know, gave me the information and scolded me when I was doing wrong, too. I mean. What kind of things were you doing wrong to oh, be just, scolded? Oh, just, um, you know, maybe not rigging something properly, that kind of thing. Or, you know, maybe pushing the rule boundaries, maybe that kind of thing. Just. What you kind know. of rules would you break? <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> that, oh that's my a, god, that's a red flag yeah. right there. I want to know what how do you what you what law did you break? Well, just kind of uh, uh, maybe hunting on days maybe you shouldn't like didn't do it, but would you know talk to people who were doing it when kind of tempted, and just not and and also too, just saying look you you're gonna have to play it straight because you're in front of a lot of people when you're working at this taco store mm-hmm. you know you, you don't want to mess up mm-hmm. so um who got you into fishing your mom your dad friends I, well i think my i actually had a grand my grandfather was great and he and i had uncles that were fantastic i had four three uncles that i absolutely hero worshipped and they all fished and but your dad did not fish. He didn't, but he was so good about keeping me supplied with what I needed and, and knowing, I mean, we literally had fishing in our backyard. So I think he knew that I was safe mm-hmm. and if I needed something, he would, he would buy it for me. And, um, and I had a lot of local, the neighborhood kids were good with, I mean, we all, we hunted as a herd right. so or, or fished as a herd. And, and so pretty much always safe. Well, you yeah. know, I want to get into the hunting part a little bit later because you're such a great outdoors person. Um, when Nikki posted earlier this year, who would you like to have on the podcast? We're talking about women, women in, in fishing. And your name was 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 so prevalent. Oh, Sarah 90%. Gardner. Sarah Gardner, Sarah Gardner. And here you are. Awesome. Um, how does that make you feel knowing that, that the industry and your name stands right there at the top as far as female, you know, fly fishermen at this point? It's, it's, it's very humbling, a little frightening and, and, um, and, 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 you know, I feel the pressure a little bit of, of, of being a role model, but, um, I, and I think too, it's kind of maybe a testament to longevity. <laughs> right. But yeah. For sure. You got to have, you got to have, uh, a lot of, uh, time under your, under your, uh, your backside. Right. Um, were you influenced by any other women, or oh. or, or even even men? Oh, always in fishing. Always. Who and who were they? So in in fly fishing, I mean, to make a long story short, we've always had Juliana Barners. Whether she that now there's a theory that she may not have been a real human being, but she was the original. She was the OG fly fishing woman back in the, you know, in the Renaissance. But so, but Kathy Back was ahead of me. And and um, and very closely associated with Lefty, so I heard her name a lot, and she was in print a lot. So mm-hmm. I had good people to look for. We had Lorianne Murphy, we had um, Joan Wolf, of course. Sure. So there were always women out there, mm-hmm. and and then also in the hunting world, there were there, we had Jean Craighead, George, and and um, and some other gal, and 
again, Juliana, Dame Juliana Barners was was a hunter and a falconer too. So I've always had women, and I've never felt, um, I've never felt alone out there, and I've never felt like I was doing anything that was, I would say, pioneering. I've always had women to look to, mm-hmm. and I've always had women not just to look out up to, but to to look. I mean, I've had a lot of contemporaries too. There are a lot of women in my age range that are doing it and have been doing it, and it's been really cool to look back and to see the young the young women are, that are coming in that are coming in at a much higher level of skill level than than I had when I was coming into the sport and, and a lot of passion and drive. And so I think that you know, I'm I'm excited. I think that women are in it. I think I think that. Over time, fishing became cool, if I'm not mistaken. So if it's not cool, there there might not be an interest to be on a you know on a river or on a lake or on the ocean you know grabbing slimy things. You know, I'm just talking about generically speaking because I know my girlfriend would never want to grab a fish, <laughs> right? You know, well, I think so, too it was always like something your grandfather did. So it was like it was like a sport that old people did, and it wasn't <laughs> appealing to like young. Yeah, it wasn't appealing to teenagers. But, yeah, at some point, it did get cool. Mm-hmm. Right. And the fact that you can go outside and connect with nature in a way that, you know, is very unique, I think that's an interesting thought, though. It wasn't cool for some time. Right. Well, I think also, if I'm not mistaken, the Internet and all the videos that are being posted over the last, I don't know how many years, gave people a real inside look at all these great places to fish and the great fish to be caught. Right. And and all of a sudden you you want to be there. And even if you don't really have the money to get there, you live in your in your dreams about catching something bigger. I remember and I've told this story a number of times growing up in Aspen, I only knew the trout in the roaring fork and the in the frying pan, but I was always watching Flip Pallet on Saturday morning and I wanted to go be I wanted to be in his boat. So that was before the internet, but with that fishing show, that that brought me along with many, many millions, you know, to the game. And I think now with the internet, you can just get on your computer and see some amazing, you know, videos. Just when I asked you who else should we interview here in Jersey, you said well, maybe Rachel Finn, and I looked at her movie. My God, what a great testament to um, to the will of the human spirit. You know, you lose your spouse and you have a whole life in fishing. Um, and you've had that. But not all women are tough. I understand you are really tough. <laughs> so where does, where does that spine, where does that, that gumption, where does that intestinal fortitude come from? Uh, that is a good question. Because I think, because if it, I think the love, the desire to, to do and see way way outweighs the discomfort that it takes to get there and whether it's immediate discomfort of the day or a bad season or cold or too hot the love of it just overcomes that and and maybe the desire not to work at walmart i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i think i think the latter might be you know more inspiring than the than the other but hand in hand yeah, you found yourself in the great outdoors. And I just, I love testing myself that way. Like, how much can you take? How much can you do? Um, and and that's not for everybody, but it's it's put me in the place of, of being 
comfortable in my surroundings as a guide. And hopefully that comfort transfers over to the people that get on my boat, the people that might be nervous or scared or or that it's their first time or or they're afraid of 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 the unknown and seeing my comfort I hopefully is is good for them it's interesting here you are teaching men how to be tougher <laughs> yeah i have a, I have a I feeling that. you like the grind like when you're in your season i don't know if your season's the the summer or the fall but you really enjoy the grind i love and the, the grind. toughness yeah i do i do when was I, the last time you cried Oh my God. Have you ever cried? Oh, I cry all the time. <laughs> I cry. Oh, I'm, I'm looking at my husband because I know he's laughing. And I, I cry a lot. I'm a softie. What makes I, you cry? Um, frustration makes me cry. But oh, really? also like extreme, you know, extreme beauty or, or um, seeing somebody else accomplish something and, and like telling their story. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to cry now. But just seeing how somebody else has overcome something or really done something. And the telling of that story just like, you know, I feel that. Me. Yeah, I get that. Cause we'll be watching something sensitive on TV or we'll a movie watch a commercial and a dog dies on a commercial. Uh, yeah. and my dad's over there weeping. Yeah. And, and yeah. Nikki goes, <laughs> Nikki goes, are you crying? <laughs> well, that's what I loved about your podcast. I'm seeing all of my heroes and you, you touch on things with them that makes them cry. And, and I'm seeing my superheroes cracking and and i think that i think that says something about their passion and how much they care mm-hmm. and it's right. exactly right when you touch the heart it's easy to 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 get all wrinkled up right and i think the toughness i think it's helped me get into places that i wouldn't go to either like when i i got to guide in alaska for two summers and and i loved every second of it every second of it the hard the, the fun, the easy. But I think the thing that I that really took me by surprise was being part of the Yupik community on the river that I worked on and seeing what they go through on the day-to-day mm-hmm. and how hard their life is. And that, I think... That puts everything in perspective. It really puts and it we, in and perspective. You didn't even see them in the winter. Right. You saw them in a, in a beautiful late fall day. Exactly. And so I think, you know, if that's what toughness, if, if being tough takes you to that then i'm all for it mm-hmm. and i hope i can i hope i can stay tough for a long time so i get to continue to experience that kind of thing what's the hardest thing you've ever done oh <laughs> this podcast no <laughs> uh, that's a really good question i think um I would I would imagine I I guess training for Ironman and completing an Ironman was really really tough but it doesn't it doesn't seem now you know many many years away from it it doesn't seem as tough but break, breaking it down into portions and training gradually made it seem less tough um I want to I would I would honestly I would have to say probably working in Alaska was pretty tough but it wasn't impossible Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I, I loved it because I, I realized that I could reach a level of toughness that it did. But I would say probably in a single day, um, uh, probably catching blue marlin, multiple blue marlin in a single day was tough, mm-hmm. was tough, but not insurmountable. And it was kind of neat because I could rely, I knew what my body could and couldn't do. And I never felt like, I, oh, I'm going to, you know go to my knees and puke and die. And so, you know, 
I don't. You just opened a whole Pandora's <laughs> box here. Yeah. On one Iron, Iron, you know, Man. Iron Man catching blue marlin, six hundred pounder, four of them. But it's just like you just you just do it. Uh huh. Getting into have you ever had a big heartbreak? Oh my god! Yeah, absolutely. So what's worse, heartbreak or physical pain? Oh, heartbreak. I yeah, think. no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. So I want to go back to the Iron Man. Um, did you do that just as like a personal test of fortitude and will and physical ability or what, what, what came about that? It, it was, <laughs> it's just like n- it's having big gaps of time in the winter now, our, our season's getting shorter. You know, our fishing season changes a little bit. So I get this gap of time, you know, February, you know, January, February, and March. And it's hard to find things to do. Like all the hunting seasons are closed. What else are you going to do? Right. And and I loved, I, I'm a, I've always been a little bit of a fitness nut. And I had friends that were doing triathlon. And so I got into it as a, as a way to kind of be around people that weren't fishing, just being able to step away mentally. And then I noticed I had this block of time. And uh, and everybody who gets into triathlon is always pushing for the next, the next, and the there's next. A, there's also a big community revolved around that, isn't that correct? Big community, yeah. and it's it's funny. I haven't been competing in a while, and those friends are still my friends. I think it's there's a process of going through that, the just embracing the suck right. that we all kind of relate mm-hmm, to. Right. But so it was a personal challenge to you know, I'm gonna I can do this. I have the time to do this in the winter, so I'm gonna do this, and. It, it's such a training for an endurance sport like that is so it's so not about chest thumping tough it's about just doing the work and and settling with yourself and being patient and and factoring for what you can control training for what you can tr- control and then being prepared for the things you can't control right and that in that life and isn't that like what guiding is all about you you prepare for everything sure. and, and, and then be willing to go with the flow. And I, I'm thinking that your routine is probably the most important aspect of that whole brace and preparation. Yeah. It's all about routine. But it's also too, I can't imagine that it's not about the mental war because the, the mind can be very fragile if you allow it to go there. Right. So you're right. always battling your mind. Should I stop? Should I slow down? No, you got to push harder. Yep. And that's what I always admire about guys like David Goggins. You know, you read his book, You Can't Hurt Me. I, I can't believe how tough some people are. Yeah. You know, the Marines and, and, and the Navy SEALs and, and all these guys that are, you know, traveling around the world trying to keep our, company, our country safe. But also, too, we have that same in, in, in many, many different athletes. And, and I've always... I've never done any of that kind of stuff, you know, considering the pain and the threshold of pushing myself really hard other than the sports I've done, but it's never been a sport of endurance and, and real hard pain. And, and you kind of like that. You're stubborn. <laughs> I kind of like it. Yeah. But well, you know, I, it's just like what Sarah was saying. I think it's, if, if you, I've never done an Ironman. I don't think I'll ever will. I mean, that's amazing. Unbelievable. But if you do that, then your everyday life, your everyday job, your everyday routine just becomes, if you suffer through that much pain and now you have a bad day in the water, I'm just guessing, you can, you can cope and you can, you can figure out what you need to do to get past that so much more right. easily because yes. you just went through hell. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Does that make sense? I'm it, not articulating that great, but. 
No, it does. You you know that this <laughs> the pain that you're feeling now does not compare. Right. And and I'll, and I think the other thing it does too is that you're you're training in discomfort for really long periods of time for hours. You're not, you know, you're you're a lot of time under tension. Right. And so that also translates to your boat. Mm-hmm. Like I this is this is going to be a long tough day, but we're going to get through yeah, it. Yeah, I got this. Right. Tell me a little bit about your husband Brian. <laughs> you know, you guys have been married a long time. You're both you're both guides. Uh, tell me how you met him and how you both ended up evolving into you know, these great iconic guides. That is a great story. I'm looking at him over there. Um, we met through Lefty. It's a great Lefty story. And, he, um, and Lefty married you guys. He did. He, he married. I, well, I heard it was a hippie wedding. It was very <laughs> much a hippie wedding. But he was actually our wedding photographer. We had a we had a. A, a legitimate priest, and we had to go through. We actually had to go through um, marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling. Um, What'd they the, talk about? Oh my gosh! Um, that Brian was the captain of the ship, and I was the mate. <laughs> you didn't like, like that at all. I did not like that oh much at gosh. all. <laughs> I was like, we might have a little bit of a trouble here. <laughs> but we were doing that after like being on the water for days and days and days, and we'd have to go to these counseling meetings, but. So Lefty was there. He heckled us. He heckled the preacher. It was it was a hilarious story. It got he was very long winded. It got late. Lefty was like, "We gotta hurry this up." So, but Lefty, when Lefty, when I first started working with Lefty, he was looking for job opportunities for me too. And he he'd lined up an amazing job down in the Keys. I worked for world class outfitters with um, Randy Tao. With Randy, mm-hmm. yeah, and um. But when Lefty sent me down, sent me down there, he sat me down and was like, "I will not hear about you in the Lorelei, and <laughs> you will not date guides, and you're going to be on the straight and narrow." And and wow. I really took that to heart. And when I left the Keys and came back up to Maryland and um, started working again at Anglers, um, I met Brian through at the Lorelei. No, thank God. Oh, my God. That would have been done. Done, done. Sorry, Lefty. But it's time. It's time. We all got to go to the Lorelei at some point. Right. Um, I, and I would, I've never known who his spies were down there. So I, ne- I never pushed it. But um, I started dating Brian, and, and it got really serious really, really fast. And we knew immediately that we had found the right person. And, and Brian knew Lefty being in the business and lefty kind of basically asked brian asked lefty kind of for permission to marry me approval and and lefty first he thought it was a different guy <laughs> and he really and he gave brian the what for I, and i didn't realize this a what right for yeah, why why the, do you want to marry yeah, sarah you know this is my uh obvious <laughs> and it i didn't really know about that part into for a little while that that lefty had kind of given him you know you take care of her or I'm going to take care of you. He loved you. Yeah. And I, and I mean, he was, he was, Lefty was everything, but we, we got married and it's been, you know, it's been the fastest 25 plus years of, mm-hmm. of my life. And, and, and um, it's not just, I mean, he's my backbone so much of the time and, and, and I try to be his backbone, but we, it's not just that we, love each other. I think that the our the way that we think about fishing is mm-hmm. really 
really the same. So how do you guys think about fishing, being both guides in the same, uh, you know, zip code? Well, I think, well, also we were the, for a long, long time, we're the only fly fishing guide. So we're going to be thinking that way the same. But I think just like how we approach um, handling our clients, how we approach the the day, what makes a quality fishing trip. And also too, like for some of our fisheries, we, we're very rarely fishing close together or, I mean, even within sight of each other, but we're, we're paying attention to the same thing. What are the birds doing? What's the tide doing? What's the current doing? What's, you know, what's the time? Of, what are you seeing? What do you know? And, and I think just being in agreement on that, but then over the years, how that modifies itself and, um, as, as things change, you know, the other person's adopting to what they're seeing. And we've never over-exaggerated or under-exaggerated to each other mm-hmm. so that when we get an, a, a report from the other person, it's honest. It's honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes, I mean, that goes across the board, across the day. Are, are you and Brian competitive with each other? No, absolutely not. We Never been? Very little. Like We may have clients, we may fish like a joint trip where the clients are family members or friends and they'll be competitive, but we learned really, really early on that that is just not a good combination. Right. Do you share information with each other? Yeah. Oh, like implicitly, uh, like all the time. It's so. Does, can you imagine if they didn't? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah. well, I can only imagine though. Um, like I'm going to go here. Well, I'm going to go here. Right. And I can only imagine that you know. Well, she's going to go there, but the fishing is really good there. And he shows up in where you want to fish before you do. That's never happened. It doesn't happen very often. That's very why you've rarely. been married for 25 exactly. years. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm trying to think too, um, w- what we've noticed too is like a lot of times there there are certain times of the year where there are just maybe not a lot of other guides out. So it's so important to spread your eyes out. Mm-hmm. And so if we were fishing in the same place, we might be missing something. Or uh, so much of the time in the morning, we make a, very much a point of not fishing near each other so that we can figure it out. So smart. I remember we were shell fishing uh, in Golfito, uh, Guatemala, and the biomass, nobody could find the biomass, so the fleet would go all over, you know, a difference of maybe 150 miles, and they'd find the biomass, and everybody could go catch fish the next right. day, and and that's a classic example of what right. you guys were doing. Exactly. Sarah, well, yeah, I was ahead. just going to say, could, for the people that don't know you and your husband, can you give them just a broad... Um, over you know view on where you guide what you fish for kind of all that stuff just in case people are interested and they want to book a trip sure so we uh live and fish in coastal north carolina and we we have two places that we fish out of in the the spring and summer season we're fishing out of oregon inlet um north carolina which is in the kitty hawk people recognize kitty hawk and ag's head especially kitty hawk from the wright brothers Oregon Inlet is legendary for its bill fishing and yellowfin tuna, but we fish inshore and we're fishing um, back in the sound for speckled trout and bluefish, um, striped bass, flounder, um, puppy drum, that kind of thing. And then we also fish the ocean side and we'll, we'll chum for sharks and look for cobia and, um, you know, when we're chumming for sharks, a lot of times we'll find other things like, right. um, um, dolphin get the and we'll get the cobia in the chum slicks too a lot of cool variety up off of oregon inlet and i know i'm missing a lot that's like really going false albacore we do get false albacore up there towards the end of the season but what we do is in um september uh 
end of September, early October, we migrate. We take our boats down to the Moorhead City area to Harker's Island, and we fish out of Beaufort Inlet and Barden's Inlet, and that's really targeting Albies okay. and on top. And um, uh, we're also fishing for bluefish, Spanish mackerel, and we have um, some really good old red drum fishing. We're, we're talking large spawning redfish that 40 could be, pounds yeah wow. that like just whopping is it all sight fish. fishing for them yeah well for the redfish a lot of times it is for everything else yes for the redfish we've learned how to mark them and we can even get flies down 40 50 feet down to these fish oh when interesting we see the marks yeah because uh we used to fish uh louisiana have right. you fished there i haven't brian has oh my god you know 40 pound redfish and you know this much water yeah yeah, that's the big difference between Louisiana and what we have. We have a lot of great big reds, but it's not the shallow water fishing mm-hmm. for them. We get them in deeper water. Well, Brian was telling me that the world record is like 90 pounds. Yeah. You've caught 60-pound redfish. Caught some big ones. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yep. And they're they're doing really well. They seem to be, you know, it's one of those things that has, huh, every every fishery, in North Carolina, every every fishery is cyclical, and so well, as we see some fish kind of disappear for whatever reason, you know, other fish are coming on strong, and it seems like the redfish are doing really well in our state. What kind of sharks are you chumming up? We chum a lot of black tips, a lot of spinner sharks, and they they're look, great, aren't they? Yes, that's my We've dad's got, favorite. Oh my god, they are oh, the yeah. best, and it's at your feet, mm-hmm. so you can see everything and. How cool is it, especially in the summertime, one thing that, that's really different about our two fisheries is that our fall fish fishery tends to be our repeat people, our people that have some experience. Our summertime fishery is, we are in the heart of vacation country. So we get a lot of family groups, a lot of kids, a lot of grandmas, a lot of grandpas, a lot of first timers. So to take them out and catch them a black tip shark or have them catch a black tip yes. is like, you know, Earth shattering, right? Really, really cool. And what boat do you run? You run a Jones Brothers? I do I run a twenty three awesome. Jones Brothers Cape Fisherman light tackle? And I've it, and it's one of, gosh, I've run several Jones Brothers now. There's a great boat built for our part of the world. Super simple, um, easy to take care of. And you have a tower so you can cruise. And you do? I do. Oh, I have so a tower. tower. I have one, and Brian does not. Oh really? <laughs> What's up with that, bro? <laughs> And uh, it's it's really cool. I mean, it really changes your perspective on everything. Um, but I did. It, it's interesting. Where our cobia season has really changed a lot, so I don't use it as much as I used to. And and, and it's really weird too. Being I, I spent the first I think eighteen years guiding shoulder to shoulder with my clients. And you when when you get up in that tower, you're only a few really t- five ten feet above them, and it just changes everything. I can't gauge the mood of my people. It's harder to communicate. Oh, interesting. And so I, I really felt like I wasn't f- kind of knowing what how 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 are my people doing? You but know, you were a little disconnected up I there. I felt disconnected yeah. up there. So do you run that? Once you once you get to your spot, can you you know get down to the bottom, yeah. up to the bow, yeah. and fish with them? I can. Yeah. So absolutely. you have the best of both worlds. I do. Yeah, but I do. Dad, I think I think that's so beneficial if you're looking for rays. On cobia, correct no, me if I, I'm no, wrong. I understand. Yeah, and it w- and and it's absolutely it's essential when you're sight fishing in deep water to have that tower. It makes such a huge difference in not only how far out you can see them, but how deep you can see them. And it, and for me, it was an eye opener too, being up there and 
thinking that I was getting people close enough. And, and I'm like, God, why is he not making this cast? Why did it, he can't see him? He, he can't see them, number one, but I can't, uh, it, the distances appear shorter. Right. And so I think I'm getting him close enough and I'm not. You're still 120 <laughs> feet away and you're going, cast! <laughs> exactly. And then and you're going, what? What? Exactly. So it was game share. And the other thing that's a really big deal with my tower is that I've got a really nice 3D side scan bottom machine oh, well, yeah. on my console down below. I just have like the basics up top. You, it's amazing the picture that you're getting on the new um, the, the, the new bottom machines right. that, that are coming out. And so I spent a lot of time on my belly on my T-top trying to look at the bottom machine down below, mm -hmm. upside down. Oh, or interesting. Trying to train my clients. So, um, Do you guys ever use drones? I don't. We have them. We have friends that are trying to figure out how to make them work for scouting and that kind of thing. And we have some friends that have used them to shoot some incredible video, especially of the redfish up mm -hmm. on top. Beautiful. I know. I love that. You, you mentioned the cobia fishing has changed. How has that changed? Um... They are not, they seem to be passing through North Carolina really quickly. Um, it used to be like a prolonged, maybe month-long migration, and you'd see dozens every day. You'd have the right temperature. We've had some seasons, some springs where it's the water's been really cold, and they're tracking, maybe hugging the Gulf Stream is what we think, and going straight into the Chesapeake Bay without showing up at all in the shallow water. So they're deeper. And then they're coming through the Chesapeake. Yeah, they're 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 not holding in deep. They're not subsurface deeper. They're just holding further offshore. Right, right. Is what we think is happening, and they're completely bypassing us. And that's a huge, that's a huge springtime fishery for for people. That's it's one of the most challenging fish we have as a as a guide and as an angler, as a light tackle person, mm -hmm. like. That's where the skill level is. That's our tarpon fishing or our permit fishing. Yeah, is our... I, I was going to say, that's probably like your most prized game fish. Exactly. Yeah, that's, For... that's appealing to me. I'd love to do that. Exactly. And to not have it is a bummer. A really, really a bummer. Is it a water temperature change that may inspire them to stay deeper? Uh, we, what, and I hopefully I'm getting this right, but we, we've had really cold inshore water temperatures. For You would think with, with everything that's, maybe going on mm -hmm. that it would be extra warm but it, it's been just really cold offshore right on the beach and so they're tracking with the warmer Gulf that's, what, water. that's what i'm thinking yeah and and we see that we're seeing that with some other fish too we are seeing the warm water situation like our bluefish we're not seeing as many bluefish our flounder seem to be wanting to live more northerly with a warm with a warm water pushing north so every everything is shifting and mm -hmm. i feel like north carolina is just kind of a like this, the center of all these crazy fish, you know, shifts. Whether on the boat, on the river, or in the woods, Yeti products are by our side. There are many innovative first-class companies in the outdoor market today, but none more so than Yeti. In 2006, they took the industry by storm when they produced their first roto-molded cooler that was reliable and built for the wild. 17 years later, with a multitude of new products, they continue to raise the bar and be the gold standard for all outdoor brands. We couldn't be more proud to have them as a Millhouse sponsor and a family member. 
Pappas Pilar is a spirit that embodies adventure. Named after the late great Ernest Hemingway and his boat, the Pilar, the name says it all. This ultra-premium blended rum is hand-selected from around the Caribbean and blended by master blender Ron Call. After a long day on the water, when the sun is descending the sky, end on a good note with Pilar by your side. Go support them at PappasPilar.com or a liquor store near you. We had a, uh, I would say over the last couple of years, I would say, I don't know how many years ago did I start fishing for sharks, spinner sharks in Florida, maybe 15, 15 right. years ago. Right. So I was always uh, chumming them up and trying to catch them, you know, with the early uh, hardy fly reels and rods, trying right. to break stuff. <laughs> right. Because you fish straight 60 to your fly line and try right. to catch these 90 pound spinner sharks right. in like five minutes. It's right. the best product testing. Yes, oh, the best. Oh my God, yeah. Because you can hook 20 a day. Right. Um, Absolutely. But they were following the bait down when the water got really cold. So we used to call it like a Christmas fish. Right gotcha. after Christmas, they'd show up. And then pretty soon, they weren't coming down to like February. Gotcha. And then and really late. And then pretty soon, they're not even coming down. So now I've got to travel an hour and a half to, up to Vero Beach to find, you know, to get the bait and find these sharks. And so you're traveling three hours a day to go fishing. Right. So I sold my boat. You yeah. know, I just don't do it anymore. Right. Um. And it's unfortunate because you've, we've completely lost that fishery, which was right. so exciting and so much fun. Right. I mean, when, when Nikki was really little, um, we would go out there and, you know, have, you know, tie a balloon and get a hook and cut, right. cut a piece of Jack Crevel and let it float out and watch the balloon go swimming away. And then eventually yeah. we got into the fly rods. An amazing fish. So underrated. It's yep. very underrated. Yep. You know, they jump, they spin, the bites are incredible. It really teaches you how to pull on fish. Exactly. I mean, some of those some of those seventy, eighty pound spinner sharks, you could you could have on for forty five minutes when you're pulling max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used yep. to break so many fly lines. That's how hard we were pulling. <laughs> yep. Never broke a rod. We broke all kinds of fly lines. Um, tell me about your offshore, um, you know, passions for chasing billfish and oh marlin. I just love it. It's just such a huge departure from what I do on the day to day. Um, inshore guiding and I just love I love that anything is possible out there but when you see when when you're kind of in that trance watching watching the baits back there and then you see like a little bill or then you see a little little hop of of, of a fin it, it's just like your heart rate just goes through the roof right rigger right rigger right yeah. rigger exactly <laughs> I and the screaming it, it's 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 amazing and it's like it's uh your job when you're bill fishing on fly is pretty small as the angler. <laughs> you just have to keep your shit together for about five seconds and then hold on. But it, it's the teamwork that goes into it. It it's um uh the the mates just do such an amazing job with working the fish and getting them to you. But just the whole just the huge big game, that pull is incredible. What I mean, the bite, maintaining your composure and not pulling the fly away from a fish so that you the fish can take the fly at the at the proper angle to to make sure it gets hooked um that that's like that split second of being able to like slow down time slow down everything and ha- make that happen and then holding on and being able to listen to what the captain's telling you as far as you know what side of the boat to be on to to wind but just kind of going into that you're going into this like hyper-focused, hyper like watching everything go down to like 
suddenly you're running a marathon, pumping these things in, right. pumping wine. You're like you're you're doing wind sprints and and um, bicep curls at the same time, and that's amazing. That's right. really cool. And just also, it's like when you're catching sharks and things like that, getting having the opportunity to max out this equipment, like max out the reels, max out the rods, max out the lines. How often do you ever get to do that? That is amazing. Right. And to know that you're right on the edge or having a reel or a rod that's like, this is nothing. This is, I got, I could, I could catch a selfish that's twice as big. This does not bother me at all, mm-hmm. the tackle. So to have that is amazing. Do you guys fish IGFA? With your customers, or it just depends on who you have on the boat? It's mostly IGFA. When we're bill fishing, it's always IGFA. Mm-hmm. Every other time. No, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. Um, so you've you've caught blue marlin. Have you caught black marlin? Uh, no black marlin. One striped and um, like just gobs of, of selfish. selfish. Yeah. That's amazing. But you, so you, cool. you go to the fads in Costa Rica, or where do you fish yes. for them? So fished a lot out of Golfito, uh-huh. um, the the inshore um, selfish. But we Brian and I got to take the trip of a lifetime about three or four. About, I guess it's been closer to five. About five years ago, got to fish the fads off of Costa Rica. Costa Rica. We got to fish Cerveza, which is one of the better known fads, and it was a multi-day offshore trip. And it was like going to a different universe. Like when you mm-hmm. when we left the dock, it was you might as well have been going for Mars or the Moon because it was seventy five miles away. It, that was the start. I think the second fi- fad that we fished was actually one hundred and twenty five. Yeah, explain um, to somebody who might not understand a fad. fad. Yeah, it's a fish attracting device that has been put out by um, people to help keep the bait fish in an area. And most of the fish attracting advice, uh, devices off of places like Costa Rica are are placed on seamounts, places that come up off the bottom a lot further than their surrounding and have some history of holding bait. And this just really enhances it. So what it is, it's like a big cable yes. attached to a big concrete block on the bottom of the ocean. Yes. And that cable goes straight up to the surface. Or close. Uh, or close to it with maybe a big ball that keeps that cable straight. And Correct. there's a bunch of fr- like big Frisbees on that cable that, that provide uh, shelter, shade, and bait fish go under those those Frisbees, if you will, that are yeah. all stacked up. I mean, I can't even imagine what that looks like if you're a diver. And isn't that, isn't that like privately, like, pr- like, like, that's not commercial. That's not the, the country doing that. It's individuals, right? Individuals. Like normally wealthy individuals who want to, have their own fish, <laughs> yeah. <their> own fishery, <laughs> yeah. their own fads. I, I, I might have this wrong, but I think now in some of the marinas down there, you you can contribute to keeping them going. And I think they ask for for money. I think is how that works now. And so. that makes all the difference in the world, correct? Oh. Like yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know what? A lot of people were thinking initially they're pulling all the marlin from around the ocean to these fads right. and if you're not fishing on a fad you're going to see nothing because right. everybody's over in the fish in the in the uh, the fish house so tell us about your fad trip how many you raised oh I, I i i can't even remember how many we raised like well i caught i i caught eight blue mon, blue marl i'm i'm seeing numbers over there i'm flashing numbers he said he raised 45 45 yeah wow. 45 in basically 2 days and i caught eight blues 
Oh on, my gosh. In, in two days. What's it look like when you're running in the boat over the ocean and you see, and they'd say, okay, the fat is about five miles this way. What do, what do you see as you're running towards that fat? You see birds? You see a few birds. You definitely see a few birds. Yeah. And then when you get there, you'll see some, we were seeing dimpling bait. But it's like suddenly What's you have- dimpling bait on the oh, surface? Yeah. Kind of like- Small bait fish just making a little bit of movement on right. the surface. Yeah. So, and it's amazing because it's just life in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that's getting back to why I like to fish offshore too. It's like when you're fishing the inshore, like when you're fishing the Gulf Stream, you see everything. It's not just the the fish that you're seeing, the the whales, the, the dolphins, the birds, the other fish, you, you know, sadly you're seeing a lot of sharks out there now that aren't inshore, um, but just, the life that you see out there is just so different. Are you having a lot of uh, problems with sharks where you fish? Yes, we are. It's an offshore issue, like as we, well. A w- terrible issue. Our our so our fleet in out of that fishes out of Oregon Inlet and Hatteras, um, well, super well known for the elephant fishing. And they once the sharks move in for the season, it, it's almost you can't un- catch unfishable. a fish. Yeah, I mean. And they're for thirty bites and maybe landing just a couple of yellowfin. It's just not worth it. You're, you're losing. And the fish, the sharks also have become trained. Like um, Pavlov's dog out there, they understand right. the motors. They understand what's going on, and they'll follow until a, a yellowfin bites, and then it's just all over. And and you know that's the how how do you get a balance back? Is there a way to get that back? And uh, but it's huge. And now this year, a couple of the bluefin tunas have been hit by sharks, which is the so first. the bluefin tuna are up by Gloucester's, even further north. Yeah, well, or in your area in also. In our area, like we have a very we have a late winter bluefin fishery that um, that it's um, well past what happens up north. We get them like. Um, starting in late November and we'll see them through the winter. How big are these bluefin? So our I would say ours probably average probably four hundred pounds. Oh but my we gosh. get the small guys too. And you'll get some bigger ones, but not the giants that you see up in you know, up in Canada. Have you tried to fly fish for them? I have not, but I have been on the boat and it's pretty neat. Wow. Pretty neat. And so you chump excuse me. So typically you'll chum them up, get them in a feeding frenzy and yeah. then throw the fly in there for yeah. the blue fish yeah. or, or the blue. For the blue fin. Blue fin. And the, the thing that's happened too with the blue fin is that it's become a trolling bite too. Like they, we're, they're not chunking for yellow fin anymore. They're not chunking for blue fin. So the, the fly fishing opportunities for us off of coastal North Carolina have really dropped. The, the bill fishing on fly is still, you know, trolling and mm-hmm. you can do that, but not as much. Why are the they not tunas. chunking for the yellowfin and, and bluefin tuna? I think it's just they may fig- sharks. I I would imagine that has something to do with it, but I think it's also just um, more productive. I think they've these these guys are amazing. They figure things out, and they've just figured out a way to do it. I would think it'd be almost at some point an ethical question for the captains, knowing that I'm going to go out there. I'm going to hook 10 fish. I'm going to feed, you know, five sharks. Oh, they they are not happy. They don't think that that's a good thing. They don't like it at all. And a but lot that's of that's their livelihood. It's their livelihood and I think what a lot of them are doing now is that if it gets bad, they leave. They we have some decent bottom fishing opportunities that they can take advantage of. Like tile fish, 
and mm-hmm. and um but the sharks aren't there either not as bad because mm-hmm. i know in the keys uh they fish the reef there too it's like 50 percent of the fish that they hook they yeah. they lose the sharks um what makes you a great fisherman what makes me a great fisherman they always say you're fishy you know sarah's fishy <laughs> what what do you see that a lot of other guides don't see and how do you think possibly differently i i just think i have been trained to pay attention to what's going on like what are the birds doing what's the current doing what's the temperature what's the wind what is little things i think probably being probably extremely add and not like not having it diagnosed but just like little things it's that same thing that catches you as a hunter it's not you're not seeing a whole white-tailed deer you're just seeing like a little flash mm-hmm. um of color or white or something and i just think you dial into that and you watch it and you work it and i think that's and what you learn you remember previous experiences yeah and i think at, at this point you know there's a lot of i have a lot of history now so you can i can play on that history do you think you're more a hunter or a fisherman? I think that. And what my, do you like more? Oh, that's a different question. <laughs> that's a different question. I think that some of the hunting skills. I think that the patience and the observation that is so important in being a good hunter, especially a close-up hunter, is huge for fishing. Huge. I, and I think, I think that. Probably I rely more on what I'm seeing and hearing and smelling even than some of the great equipment that I have, like the sonar and that kind of thing. And I just think that it's easy. We're always being sold on stuff, you know, as fishermen. This this is the newest lure. This is the best rod. This is the this. But it still comes down to what are your spidey senses telling you? Right. And and um, yes, those those new things are will definitely up your game, but. I think that it's that that paying attention is what Okay, so then it. what do you like more? <laughs> so my favorite thing that I like to tell my friends is that I fish so that I can hunt. I, I just, for me, it's, I love guiding. I love it. I, I hope to drop dead and still be guiding. I love my people. I love everything about it. But, and it challenges me. It still challenges me. And it should, or, you, or you're not doing it right. Sure. But I think on a personal level, hunting thrills me. Like, as you know, the first time you bugle and you have a bu- have an elk respond, that will make you just. It's unlike anything it's else. Unreal. Yeah. And and it it's humbling. It makes you be part of it and be little and just be in it and not think about anything else. And it's hard not to. How can you not love that? <laughs> It was funny. I called the house and I got Brian on the phone. I said, is Sarah around? He goes, she's still out hunting <laughs> or she just got back from hunting. Yeah. Is Brian the hunter that you are? He, he doesn't, he, he doesn't love it like I do, but he's really good. Like we just, we, we just came back from several days of hunting geese and he just throws these amazing shots out there <laughs> and everybody just goes, what, how did you? How did you do that? And and I'm still working, you know, working away at that. So he's a great shot. Um, so you hunt everything. I hunt deer ev- and geese and ducks and elk. Turkeys and, and elk turkeys. and whitetail. I just love it. I just love being out there. I love, I just think it's, it's just being immersed in mother nature is, it just, 
it just flows through me. I just love it. It mm-hmm. settles me. It, it, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it better than that, but it's just such a, um, humbling treat to just have something walk that close to you, whether you have the intent to harvest it or not, just mm-hmm. to have fooled it or have blended in enough that it's just, it's doing it. Do you ever feel guilty oh. about killing something? Yeah, absolutely. How, I, do you, how do you deal with the guilt? Honor it and eat it. And and Very and, well said. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Just, and I feel guilty um, and also just completely humbled. And uh, just, I know the first time I found, uh, I mean, I, my first elk, I, when I, you know, was hunting solo, tracked him, found him, fell to my knees and just started crying mm-hmm. like a baby. I mean, that's just huge, huge. And and you just feel really responsible too. I mean, you, you've, you've, you've maybe taken a calf away from its mother and now it's going to kill be- a cow. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. How do you process an elk uh, hunting alone? Well, I don't. You call some, you call Brian. <laughs> I got one down over here. We so I hunt with a group a, a group of bow hunters and we drive out west and we bring all of our own um you know processing tools like cutting boards, knives. We have a grinder, we have a huge uh chest freezer and it all comes out with us. And so we get, you, we hunt a lot by ourselves or you can you know whatever you want to do I, i'd like to call with my buddy too it's fun to tag team with him but um when you shoot something if if it's close you know it's a good shot you saw it go down or you know it's a good shot mm-hmm. go find it put some light on it maybe put a piece of clothing on it so it smells more human and then get out of there and walk down to where they're going to meet you and then we have everybody goes in together and oh, we quarter it drag it out and process it we've had some pretty exciting i was gonna say that is so cool you're still getting out there do it yourself on public land it's everything that's amazing yeah Yeah. i can't imagine doing it another way like to have somebody else take 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 over take control like that it was just it and it's just the whole experience is just i cherish every bit of it the Mm. hard part of it the dragging it out it's part of it that is so cool. How, how much practice do you put in prior elk season shooting your bow? I shoot every day, all summer. What kind summer. of broadheads do you use? So I used fixed um, cut on contact. I use the um, Montag Strikers. And I, they, they don't, I don't like mechanicals. The guy, the, the outfitters out there, out where we are, don't like mechanicals. They're too prone to failure. And these seem to fly, they've, um, they, they have flown really well through a series of bows and a series of different rests. Mm-hmm. They just seem to be, they tune very easily. I can do the tuning myself, get everything ready to go. Um, but, and, and they haven't, I haven't noticed, they, they cut through some pretty heavy duty and, stuff. And, and what's the poundage that you're pulling? I pull about 50. About 50. So yeah. how close or how, yeah, what's the limit of your taking a shot with, a, with an elk? With an elk, 35, 35. max. And it's like broadside. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Right. Good penetration. Yep. And I've had pass-throughs. So that, I mean, I feel right. that's a good thing. Yeah, no doubt. Um, not always, but. Yeah, sometimes if that broadhead gets just right, you can get th- between the ribs. 
and then yeah. you can get it all the way through. It's amazing what can pass through an elk because I was last year I was shooting a bow that shot forty five pounds, and it went all the way through. Isn't that amazing? Yep. What bow were the, you shooting? The, the, my recurve. Your wow. recurve two wow. years ago, the elk you killed. Yeah, it went yeah. all the way through. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. That is Crazy. like. A, the the accomplishment of a lifetime right there. But that I also is. too think that when you're shooting with a, with a trad bow, your arrow is like 550 grains, That's really really heavy. really heavy yeah, arrow. Yeah. And the it penetration. Like but the the hit and the penetration is like getting hit with a Mack truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're so right. So that's Mike much Tyson. different than you know a bunch of other arrows that might be you know much lighter. Yeah, they fly flat, but the penetration, the kinetic energy is not quite as high. Okay, Tim Wells. <laughs> <laughs> we were really lucky this year too. I, I, the, the place that I hunt, um, it's it's managed by a, a family, and the wife bow hunts, and the husband does not. And they have had some hunters that have been hunting with their family for fifty years, and and so they're really really good bow hunters, and they've taken her under their wing and because she doesn't have access to a lot a lot of you know expertise sure he came in this fall and they did they set up we they he napped or not napped but he he built a series of of arrows for her of different weights and then some different weights of um broadheads and you know now they're using like little um, add-on mm-hmm. weights up front to kind of balance things yeah. out or change. Like and inserts. Inserts, yeah. exactly. And um, and, it, and then they go beyond the insert even. And and it was really cool to watch the two of them working together to kind of get her even more dialed in. And I, I just thought that was really amazing. How She's, heavy is your arrow with your 50-pound bow? My I'm shooting um, 363 greens mm-hmm. with, regular knock and then it goes up to 372 when i put on a lighted knock and and that makes a difference Mm -hmm. in the drop when you get out to the end like out 25 yards and and beyond i really see it's amazing what just a few extra grains makes right and and so and those lighted knocks can really man they're they're so beneficial they could really help you out by you know if it's a questionable shot to recover that animal you know what because i hurt my shoulders i was telling you in the lobby and i was shooting like a 50 pound bow right after my rotator cuff and ryan smalls from aspen a good friend of ours said you know you should probably be shooting like a like a trad arrow a 550 grain because you don't have a lot of speed right but that arrow is going to go all the way through at 25 and 30 yards even though you're only you know pulling 50 pounds. I don't know if you ever considered or thought about that. Yeah. And that's one thing that we were talking a lot about when, when, when those, the two of them were working together this fall about what would be a better arrow for me. Like, do I go heavy or do I go even lighter or, or. Mm -hmm. You can still be accurate. The arrow is going to have a lot more drop, drop. but you know, when you shoot a lot of arrows, you're going to be very accurate. Yeah. And you're always tuning, you're always checking your, your sights anyway and adjusting your sights. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's, and with all of that said, and all the tinkering, and all of the two thousand dollar bows now, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It still comes down to practice, the shot. practice, 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 and the shot and preparing. Yeah, no, yeah, no question. Um, is there a fish or an animal that you haven't harvested that you'd like to? I, I think it would be oh, maybe to go sheep hunting. 
Yeah. Have you done that? I have not. No, I wish. <laughs> I'm too old for <laughs> that. That's my, that's my right, dream. Right, right, I think I'm right on the edge of that, too. That's like the Iron Man of, of hunting. It sure. Anyway. What, about, what about fishing? Uh, well, we're actually going to go to, uh, we're going down um, to Argentina this year to, to um, fish for Golden Dorado, and that's a bucket list fish. Mm-hmm. Bucket list fish. That's, that's on your bucket list, isn't it? Yeah, I want to catch two fish. I want to catch the striped marlin in Mags Bay. Right. You know, because it's so organic. You're right. in a ponga free casting. Yeah. Um, and then maybe a dorado, but I want to fish a dorado, you know, maybe in Bolivia in the little creeks up there somewhere where you can, you know, run up and down the riverbeds. I don't want to fish dorado in a really big river where you're false casting 9,000 times. Right. I can't, I can't do that. Um, but here's an interesting statement that Nikki made the other day. He was saying that a lot of his friends are thinking, well, Mag's Bay, you got fish all over the place, and anybody can catch one. You just throw it right there, and they're right there, and it's going to be easy. It's almost like there's there, where's, where's the work involved? Right. The work is g- getting to Mag Bay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, but you know what? It's like fi- catching fish out of a barrel. At some point, we all like that, right? You know? Yeah, you yeah, got to yeah. get even we with them it, once in a while. We do enough pain, painful it's, things in our life. It's like, come on. I like a little easy now and again. Yeah. Easy's good. You know, when we spoke, you know, you'd never ask a woman how old they are, you know, and I asked you and you said, I'm 59 motherfucking years old. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm still wondering how the heck that happened. Like, where does life go? Where does time go? So it's all good. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm feeling like not slowing down. At all. Good Just for you. take care of yourself yeah. as best you can. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's got it covered. He'll because he's so tough. He's never going to get hurt. Me, I hit more trees than finish lines as a skier. So my whole body's broken, you know. So I'm lucky that I can still do what I do. Are you? Do you feel like you're still like all uh, everything that's on your bucket list is still totally attainable? The bucket list changes, you know, and that's a a realistic statement. With you know, that's something is not accessible, like certain things, you know, like I get tremendously seasick i don't want to be out there in rough seas trolling around for five hours to maybe see one right uh tom evans called me one time and he we were we're still very close and he used to travel the world he'd be in some you know on the other side of the planet trying to catch a striped marlin like uh, off of new zealand somewhere and i asked him he called me and i said how's it going he said you know he's so profane you know he'd say like well we're taking it up the butt. You know, I said, well, what does that mean, Tom? He said, well, we're in 10 foot seas. It's blowing like a and it's horrible. I said, how many times are you throwing your fly? He said, we're fishing nine hours a day, nine, 10 hours a day. And I'm, I'm throwing my fly 1.5 times. Right. That is a special human being. Right. And it's interesting. We were talking a little bit about world record chasing. This man, Tom Evans, will go down with as one of the greatest, greatest saltwater fly fishermen of all time with all of his big tarpon records and billfish records, but he only has a handful of records. But here's a guy that chased the biggest fish that swam in the ocean. That's the record that if I ever chased one, that's the one I would want. I don't care about catching three or 400 world records. Right. Um, and I asked you at one point, did you ever chase records in your fishing career? A little bit when they first 
when I when I first moved down to North Carolina, I did it a little bit. And when they separated the women's records from the men, it was a good opportunity to to put some fish on the, you know, on the list. And and it was cool and it was fun, but it 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 lost the fun really fast. And it, you it kind of took away from what I love about fishing. And so we both kind of looked at each other and just said, let's, it's not for us. It's not for us. I remember, Nick, you remember when you were really little and we were over in Steamboat and we were trying to catch some, some junior world records? Yeah, we were like junior world record fishing. We were catching all these these trout and my dad had a boga grip and you were weighing and then writing Martin. stuff down. And I was like, can we just fish? fish? Why are we this doing is this? stupid. Yeah. 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 Like, that- we're not trying to prove anything. I'm like, 13 years old <laughs> it's not that big of a deal <laughs> yeah and I, I think that it's good i think it's important and i'm glad that there are people that are out there doing it mm-hmm. and putting in the time and mm-hmm. but it's not for me yeah. yeah i think it's extremely important but yeah i agree with you it's just it's not for me as well i would love to chase a world record you know if it's if it's a real big fish in the right category but like small fry all the junior all things, like yeah. Yeah, it just yeah. didn't mean anything to me yeah um what keeps you going as far as guiding every day? Do you ever get bored? Do you ever wake up and say, I just don't want to go out there today? I've never woken up and said, I don't want to go out there. I do. You, Of course you go through periods where you go through a little bit of boredom. and um, But you gut it out. You know it's going to change. I think that it's, I think I'm an optimist. I think that that's what keeps me going. Um, so... I mean, to, to kind of lost the question there, but um, it, I've never, I've never felt like I wanted to just chuck it and give it up. I've been really frustrated. I feel like in the last few years, I've been a little more frustrated, and I don't know if that's my age. And when you're a woman, sixty means you're going through menopause. I'm gonna, I bet you'd not heard that word on your podcast <laughs> before. But it's like it changes you a little bit, and so your tolerance for shenanigans seems to dump. Do you get so, cranky? I, I think I'm. Yeah, I get a little crankier, and I have to like not. I'm. I'm trying. I'm trying to watch Brian. I'm trying not to watch his reaction. But I feel like I have to like watch that because I've not I'm I'm like wow who are you but it doesn't it it does not come out with clients very much I just I I feel it a little bit more Mm -hmm. and I I feel like what I notice in my what I've noticed in the last few years is my frustration maybe with the people we're probably you've heard this from everybody that you've talked to that's still guiding actively is that COVID has changed the water I mean there's so many more people out there which they're it's good it means that more people are out there enjoying it but it's made for really crowded conditions. And in our state, a lot more people are guiding. And so you're, it's really hard to find solitude when you're out there. And Especially I get, in Bulford when you're chasing false albacore uh, and they're blitzing and all the boats are racing on top of these crashing fish. Yeah, it's, that drives me crazy. It, 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 most, what's really funny is in our area, people are, there's not as much running and gunning and people get, you get called out for it. If you're really being obnoxious, you're going to get called out for it which is good. It keeps things to a dull roar. But we are, what I've noticed in the last few years is that people, you may be moving slowly, but people are pretending like they plain old just don't see you. And so you're getting, people are cutting you off and and you're like, wow, this is- How can you not see me? Yeah, exactly. And that, that 
bothers me, especially when you don't have a lot of options. The fish just aren't anywhere. You've put in the miles. You've run 30, 40 miles that day, and you're not finding it. You're not seeing them on top. You're not finding them on your bottom machine, and you have to suck it up, and you have to get back into the crowds. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it personally, and I, I just feel like it it makes it hard to run a quality trip for people. And, you know, I don't have my – I always look at my fishery as – I'm not a world, it's not a world-class fishery that I'm in, but it's a great fishery for people to learn mm. and and not only get their fishing skills improved, but also looking around and seeing how other people are on the water, how they're behaving. I'm seeing a lot of bad behavior. And it so it's just, it's frustrating. And that could be, it could be old age. Mm. No, <laughs> not old, old age. age. I don't know. I'd be frustrated too. So yeah. I don't think and it's you've that. got a right to be frustrated because you saw it when, you know, when Tom Earnhardt right. first found it. Right. Um, and then it started to evolve to what it is today. Yeah. It's like me seeing the Roaring Fork in Aspen. You know, I grew up fishing that river when I was nine years old before the, the movie came out. And now in the summer, it's just crowded with, um, as Dan Laren calls them, um, you know, bank, bank maggots. Bank maggots. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, terrible. Man. I know. Oh. Here's the Dan, Lauren. Here's the Dan. Okay, dangerous Dan. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so when I fish, you know, in the summers um, down there on the river, I'll go out during a caddis hatch in the evening, and I wouldn't even catch a fish. You know, I'll just throw it out there, watch the bite. Right. That's all I need. I don't need to put another, you know, fish in my hand. Right. Um, do you ever think that there might be a limit to your fishery your exposure to it and your time on the water as a guide that you might start pulling the plug and doing something different? Um, you know, that it's, I'm starting to ask that question of myself because Brian, he, who is 10 years older than I am, is having to go through that. I mean, I'm hitting 60, he's hitting 70, and you have to be realistic. So, And his friends, we have a lot of friends um, that we guide with uh, who are also doing that. And I, so the answer to that would be, I think it's going to happen naturally, but he's I, shaking his head over there, but not, I mean, not happening. <laughs> it's going to happen, but just, I think in just in little increments or maybe changing, uh, Brian loves fishing on the headboat and having the interaction with little kids and families and things like that. So just finding, not leaving guiding, but just maybe changing a little bit what you're doing tweaking the system tweaking the system. i don't see you guys golf as golfers on a driving range and putting greens no no i mean i love it but oh, you do oh, you play golf oh golf well here's the deal i've had a chance to hit balls and take a lesson and i knew as soon as i hit the first ball that this was a dangerous sport yeah, for me and that exciting. i needed to step away you, you have get real I'll tell you what, it's like every couple of minutes you got a shot and I yeah. love golf. I love practicing. I love yeah. being out there. And the challenge, because we're athletes, we it's an instant um, result. You right. make a swing, you see the result. Right. Like when you're training, you don't necessarily see that instant result. Or when right. you're doing certain things like fishing, you could go fishing all day right. and get and maybe ha- take four shots. Right. That's aggravating. Or maybe not even see one. Right. Yeah, you know, so, know you're gonna play 18 holes, and you're gonna get you're gonna at least hit the ball at least 90 times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Used to be a lot less if you're lucky for if you. You're lucky for me. <laughs> <laughs> See, 
I do you guys it. both play? Do you play yeah, together? Yeah, we love golf, yeah. Oh, my God. And are you competitive with each other? Oh, of course, but Not, he won't bet me anymore. I, uh, I say, let's, let's, <laughs> let's bet $20, $20 or $50 or something. He won't bet more because, than $5. Because if he bets $5, he won't give me the shots. If he bets $5, that's a big bet for him. <laughs> for you, because you don't set the stage correctly. The, Dude, the, whatever. He's like a scratch <laughs> golfer, right? <laughs> and he'll say, I'll give you two aside. <laughs> this is awesome. I'll give you one aside. Meanwhile, he'll, he'll shoot 68. No, you're a sandbagger. You make me give you 10 strokes. And then I'll uh, bet you 20. <laughs> 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 we love golf, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's such um, a great sport. Where else? What 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 else is there that we haven't spoken about that you would like to, you know, maybe talk about? Oh, well, I guess one of the things that I have done, I think, in the last few years that I think is kind of maybe an offshoot of where I am in life is in, in my age and also time on the water is having seen so many changes to the water around me. Some I can understand, some I don't understand, but I want to know why. I was I was asked to um, join North Carolina Marine Fisheries Commission, which is it's an unpaid mm-hmm. governor governor appointed position, and we set the regulations for a lot of the fish in North Carolina. Not everything, not all the species. They're guided by other councils, but um, I thought that, well, first of all, I was incredibly honored to to have been asked, but I also thought it would be a way to learn about what's going on in my water mm-hmm. what what's causing you know what are the things that are you're seeing with your water well we're seeing um habitat loss where we're losing a lot of savs we're losing the submerged aquatic vegetation underwater grasses we're losing mm-hmm. that in areas we're um we're seeing areas where our water just does not want to get clear anymore some of it's sediment some of it is a lot more algae than what we were used to see uh, we're seeing certain populations of fish just crashing and crashing really quickly. And you, you, everybody wants to blame somebody mm-hmm. or something. But to me, and it, it's like, I think it's having to, being a fly fisherman, you're always having to look at the overall picture, you know. And, and I, for, for a lot of us, we can't help but think that there's so much more going on than, than what we see. And, um, you know, what is it? How do, what's going on here? And so that's why I, I joined. I thought it's going to give me access to all of the scientists in the state that are working to um, keep things going in our state. And, and also too, it, it was offering North Carolina is so diverse that what is going on in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is about, you know, 200 miles south of Nags Head is a lot different than when it was going on in Nags Head. And you may, it's, you may be looking at the same fish, but their food sources, where they live, their life cycle could be completely different. And so trying to give perspective, I thought it was also important to give perspective from the northern outer banks. There wasn't mm-hmm. much voice in, in, on the commission at the time from mm-hmm. our part of the world. So I thought that that would be good. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But it, it's, um, I think, I feel, I feel like, it's a chance for me to kind of give back a little bit and and you know i've been beating up on fish and 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 game for a long time so it's time to give back and also too looking at like all of our friends down in florida and what they've been through with um um the everglades 
and and everything that's going on down there is just it's heartbreaking and it happens so quickly and a lot of the reasons for it happening are pretty clear and straightforward and but that doesn't mean that it's an easy fix mm-hmm. and I, and i see that i see a lot of those same things happening in north carolina and so i'd i'd like to be i don't know if not part of the change at least part of trying to understand what the next step might be and and also you know trying to keep keep things fair across the board for all the user groups i think but um and and i, I grew up i think part of my introduction to fishing is because my parents they may not have been fishermen but they were avid bird watchers and we camped and and they tried to get me involved in you know groups that were doing those kind of things like nature education groups and so i think that ethic stuck at a really really young age and and also the people that taught me were all around sportsmen, outdoorsmen, like they understood what they were looking at, the trees, the birds, all of those things. And I think that that just plays into wanting to be part of fixing this. Good for you. Yeah, good for you, Sarah. Could be your greatest success. I hope so, or (laughs) a big heartbreak. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, and I feel that too, I'm 71. Um, My life has changed dramatically because of aging and, and time on the water and certain things you do, you just don't want to do that anymore. Right. So now you feel like, okay, maybe I can still give back and help and be an influence of some kind here. Um, and I think it's a moral, um, a moral ob- obligation if you allow it to become that. Like a lot of people would, might not feel that way, but I think somebody that's had such a big life in the outdoors, such as yourself and myself and Nikki too, it's an eventual, you know, evolution and gradual pull, gravitational pull to help. Yep, for sure. And I think, too, I'm the product of people that took a look at somebody and said, let's give this person a chance. I wasn't born into this. And so I feel like it is my responsibility, probably the, you know, without bursting into tears. But I think Lefty put it, he, you know, he's like, share your toys, share your knowledge, share your passion. And I feel like that, that that's my way of kind of doing that too. Lefty's voice still is loud and clear yeah. in your mind and ears. Absolutely. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank that you was guys. really fun. Yeah, Did you yeah. have fun? Sarah. I had a blast. It was <laughs> good, right? <laughs> yes. That wasn't so painful. No, were, no, it wasn't. Were you no, nervous coming in? Oh, absolutely. You Are were? you kidding? I was, I was yeah. too. <laughs> Well, that makes me feel better. It was so good talking to you, Nikki. Great to meet you, Sarah. You got a wonderful story, and thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you soon. What a soul is just a ride.